Thank you, Jenny. Let's pray together. Help us, O Lord, to learn the truths your word imparts, to study that your laws may be inscribed upon our hearts. Help us, O Lord, to live the faith which we proclaim, that all our thoughts and words and deeds may glorify your name. Amen. Well, I'm impressed you're here. Right now, at this moment, England's women are playing Spain in the World Cup final. I did ask Tony if I could have the morning off uh, to watch it, but apparently I was needed here. This is the first time that an England's senior team has made it through to a World Cup final since 1966. So for some of us here, at least, the first time in our lives. It's a big moment. If you've watched any of the World Cup so far, then you will have heard lots of talk about how far the women's game has come, about how good the crowds have been for a women's match. Interest in women's sport has come a long way in the last few years. There was a time, uh, we're told by commentators, uh, when women mostly played to empty stadiums with perhaps just family and friends there to support them. These days, the rest of the world has caught up with how good women's sport can be. Just as good as men's, maybe even better, dare I suggest. The world has come a long way for women although maybe not everywhere in the world. If you've been watching the news or reading the news recently, you'll have been hearing about the plight of women in Afghanistan. This week marked two years since the withdrawal of foreign forces from Afghanistan and the Taliban taking control. At the time, there were promises of a different approach to women's rights and education, and that access to public life would be different under Taliban rule this time. So far, that hasn't been the case. In fact, there has been a constant reduction in the rights of women in Afghanistan. There have been a wide range of strict measures that have included a ban on education beyond the years of 11, and women have been banned from working in all non-governmental organizations, as well as for the UN. Uh, even beauty salons, we recently heard, have been ordered to be closed one of the few remaining places where women could gather together and be with one another. So huge step forwards in some places and giant strides backwards in others. Our gospel passage today has a woman front and center, and that's good news, although it's not perhaps as some of us would like. Jesus and his disciples have traveled outside Galilee to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus has been caught up in arguments with some of the Jewish leaders recently, so perhaps it's no surprise that he decided to head towards the coast to get away from all of the tension. Given that Jesus is outside the boundaries of Galilee, it's not surprising that he encounters a non-Jewish Canaanite woman. It might be more surprising to know that this woman has seemingly heard of Jesus. Why else would she approach him with her request? It might be easy for us to underestimate just what a daring thing it was for this woman to do. Jesus is there having a meal with his disciples. Picture the scene. These men gathered together, eating, drinking, having a good time together. And then a woman, on her own as far as we know, approaches. 
This woman is so desperate that she's willing to risk coming up to these men, these foreign men, to ask for help. The bravery of this unnamed woman shouldn't be underestimated. She wants Jesus' help. Her daughter is suffering, and this mother will do anything for her. I imagine that she's tried every other route, asked everybody that she can think of. And then she hears of this man, this man from Bethlehem, this Jewish man who is doing amazing things. He's performing miracles, healing, casting out demons, walking on water. Surely this man can help her child. I imagine that she does her research, asks everyone that she can about him. And we know that she certainly understands who Jesus is better than many others at the time, not least the religious leaders. She even names him Son of David. She has an understanding of who Jesus is and what he can do. And so with great courage, this woman approaches Jesus and asks for help. But she's not met with the response from Jesus that we might expect. There's no compassion or care. In fact, at first, there's no response at all, just silence. Then as she continues to ask for help, the disciples get annoyed. I imagine she's pestering them, please help me, help my child. Send her away, they urge Jesus. They said a similar thing just a chapter earlier where a great crowd had gathered. Jesus had been feeding and teaching. And they said, send this crowd away. They need to eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. And he performed this wonderful miracle of abundant provision. Well, Jesus' response to the disciples' request this time isn't with such generosity or provision. In fact, the woman asks for help again, and in fact, the response is an insult. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Even in the face of these unkind words, the woman doesn't give up. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table, she says. And finally, Jesus grants her request, and with just a few words, her daughter is healed. This isn't a comfortable reading. It shouldn't be comfortable. This woman is ignored and insulted. We don't even know her name. It's an interaction that makes us ask questions. Questions about who's included and who is excluded. About who is welcome at the table. Who makes the decision about who is welcome. It confronts us with questions of who is in and who is out. Who do we ignore or even insult when they come seeking the Lord? Those are questions that we should take seriously, that we should be willing to ask of ourselves. There have been different ways that commentators and scholars over the years have tried to explain or rationalize this encounter between the woman and Jesus. And they largely fall into two main ways of thinking. Perhaps this is a test from Jesus that the woman needs to pass. We read lots of um, different passages in the Bible where people are tested, don't we? Or maybe the persistence of this woman causes Jesus to change his mind about helping her. 
I don't think either of these explanations are very satisfying. Why would Jesus test this woman whose life was already hard enough? It doesn't feel very compassionate. And if Jesus is God and knows the mind of the Father, wouldn't he already know of this woman's great faith and wanted to heal her daughter without such cruel testing and silence and insulting? Another explanation I have heard is that Jesus is showing up the biases and the prejudices of the people around, of the disciples and the others. And by acting like this, feeding into their prejudices, he's allowing this woman to surprise them with her faith and her understanding of who Jesus is. I'm not convinced by that explanation either. It doesn't feel like the Jesus that we learn about from the Gospels and from our own experiences with God. Whatever explanation we come up with always feels like a jigsaw puzzle that's missing a few pieces. We don't seem to quite be able to see the full picture. And I don't really want to be able to explain it away. I don't want to be comfortable with this reading because it's not a comfortable encounter. It should make us uneasy. And so even though we might need to sit with not fully understanding what's going on in this encounter, I think we can learn something from it, something from this encounter between Jesus and this Canaanite woman. Firstly, I think we can learn from her persistence and her tenacity. Despite being ignored and insulted, this woman didn't give up. She knew that there is enough grace and mercy from God to go around. And her great faith leads her to proclaim that Jesus can do what she is asking. That it's no more than crumbs from his overflowing table for her child to be healed. This huge, this amazing thing she's been longing for, searching for, is merely crumbs to Jesus. She knows who Jesus is and what he can do. And so she will ask until it is granted. I wonder if we have that same persistence and faith. Do we ask Jesus to meet our deepest needs, to know that he can meet them? Do we bring our needs to him consistently, even when we don't understand when we've been met with silence or what feels like insults? We may not fully understand this interaction, but one thing we can learn from it is to have persistence in faith. Secondly, this woman is a wonderful example of what it means to conduct yourself with humility. We are often told as Christians that we should be humble. But so often this gets confused with being weak or being a pushover, allowing others to treat us badly. There is nothing weak about this woman. She is a mother fighting for her child. And she doesn't let her pride get in the way. She doesn't get, take offense at being ignored or called a dog. She could have challenged Jesus' words and called him out, entered into a debate about the use of words. But instead, she focuses on what is important, that Jesus can heal her child. How often do we let pride get in the way of our faith? How often are we quick to take offense? We can learn from this woman to be humble in our approaches to one another, but most of all, to God. 
there is enough grace at God's table for all. We shouldn't seek to limit who gets to access or when people can come to Jesus. Let's be open to those who come with great faith and through their persistence and humility receive healing and wholeness. Today, as we share together around God's table, let's come with humility, meeting God in our need and through our faith. Amen.